glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me then, if you would, please. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you, this only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things, if it be yet in vain? Uh, have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth yet by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things, which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Thank you. You may be seated. If you notice in those verses, the word faith is used repeatedly from the beginning all the way down through verse 14. And again, the contrast is formed, is it by works, meaning by your natural ability and what you can do in and of yourself, or by faith? Faith is believing what God has promised and seeing God keep his promises. Now, we understand specifically, he's referring to, going back here, the law of Moses. But there's a principle here as well. If I told you tonight, this is the Christian life, just do this and you will succeed at being a Christian. What I want you to do is you're going to come to church every time the doors are open, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and midweek service. Every meeting we have, I want you to be here. Is there anything wrong with doing those things? But this is what you're going to do to succeed. You make sure that you attend church like you should. You're going to, you're going to read every morning. You're not only going to read, you're going to get on the Bible reading schedule we have posted in the bulletin. That's the schedule you need to use. And if, if you don't use that schedule, that's okay, but you have to schedule and you have to go through your Bible at least once a year. That's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. You have to schedule 15-minute prayer times, three intervals during every day, and then make sure you pass out at least five gospel tracts a week. You say, Pastor, you're preaching against your own preaching. You tell us we need to do all these things. We do. I say, whether it's five a week or one a week or 25 a week, we should be giving out the gospel. But if I said, if you do those things, that means you're a good Christian. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible for someone to read their Bible every morning using the bulletin schedule, pray over the missionary in the bulletin, pray over the government leader in the bulletin, um, pray three times a day in 15-minute intervals, give out five gospel tracts a week and attend every service and be living in absolute disobedience to God. It is. It is absolutely possible. While those things are good to do, 
Could a lost person do everything I just said? They could. Could they do it in the power of their flesh? Just like a lost person can modify their diet. Now, again, all those things are right. And by the way, all the things I just mentioned can help you have a successful Christian life. I don't believe you'll have a successful Christian life without those things. But doing them, merely going through the motions of doing them, number one, doesn't save you. Number two, doesn't keep you saved. Now, how about this? What if we go to Hebrews 10.25 and read, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The preacher says, now look at that. The Bible says assembly is important. God's word, not the pastor. God's word says it's important and that he wants us to assemble. One of the ways he encourages and blesses and strengthens us is through the assembly. And you hear the word of God, and the Spirit of God says, you know what? You're not prioritizing church as you should. You need to be more faithful to church, and you actually respond to what the Bible says by faith. Are you going to have power in your life as a Christian? Absolutely. You could go through the fleshly motions of doing those things simply because you're checking your list and you're making your... Look... Athletes can modify their diet so they can be a good athlete. There are people that will modify portions of their life to be a better Christian than the next guy. But all that can be is flesh. It can be. There are men tonight who will go too far with this and preach against reading your Bible every day and going to church because they say, well, that doesn't make you a good Christian. I got news for you, though. If you don't meditate in God's law, you're not going to hear the mind of God. But if you get in the Word of God and say, you know what, that is God's book. I have to spend time there. No one's going to have to regiment you and say, you have to read your Bible. You're going to find time if you're listening to the Spirit of God read your Bible. How many you think the Spirit of God is going to remind you in the morning to read your Bible? You walk in the Spirit and you'll read your Bible. A schedule will help you. But what you're doing is living by faith. I'm believing what God says and responding in faith to His judgments. I'm responding in faith to His promises. Let's say you hear Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And you hear that, and you know you're wrestling with a decision. You think, you know what, i got a job opportunity, and this job opportunity is going to wreck my life of being being able to assemble faithfully. This job opportunity is going to limit my ability to love my wife and my children, but it is going to pay so well I can provide better food and clothing than ever I did before. And God uses Matthew 6.33 to say, what's first, your physical needs or your spiritual? And the Spirit of God says, you need to put spiritual things first, and you decide to refuse to take a job by faith, believing that Matthew 6.33, knowing it's the Word of God that it applies to you. How many think the Spirit of God works like this? He takes the Bible and applies it. And when we respond in faith, friend, that's the Christian life. That's how you got saved. The Spirit of God declared to you through His Word what sin is. You saw it in your life and you believed He was telling you the truth about you being a sinner, about your condemnation, you're deserving to go to hell, and that Jesus Christ was the only way. And when you believed Him, Jesus Christ gave you His Holy Spirit not only to save you and seal you, but to guide you and deliver you and and empower you to live for Him. You and I did not receive the Holy Spirit through church attendance. Would we agree? You received Him by faith. Again, I, we know he, the Spirit of God leads us to attend church. But if we're not careful, we get into thinking that fleshly action is equitable to spiritual obedience. We must be responding, interacting with Him by 
Faith, believing God, believing His Word is right, believing He keeps His promises. It is faith which worketh by love that the, spirit, that the, the Christian life is all about. And so having said all of that, that's the context we're getting this in tonight. Let's go back and read through these verses again. I'll give you some, some points tonight, some things to consider from this text. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, we go back into last week's text just a little bit. It says, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. That was a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. That through Jesus Christ, not only Jews, but Jews and Gentiles alike would be blessed through the forgiveness of sins. Verse 9, so then they which be of faith. Now I've circled in my Bible in verse 9, of faith. And then in verse 10, he's going to give the contrast of the works of the law. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, why the continued reference to the Gentiles versus the Jew, the reference to the heathen versus the children of Abraham? Because what the Jewish people were trying to conclude is that salvation is through the Jewish people and you must become a Jew to tap into God's salvation. Romans chapter 11 makes it clear it's not the natural born Jew. There are folks today that are born of the seed of Abraham but are not righteous. They're not saved. That's not the means, it is not the blood in your veins that gives you salvation. What Paul is establishing, it is, it is having the faith of Abraham that, inha- that grafts you into the promise that was made to him. He laid hold of the promise of God by faith. We lay hold of the promise the same way. We cannot overemphasize the necessity of faith in the Christian life. Responding to God's word by faith. It's how we got saved and it's how we continue to walk with the Lord. So, Three things here tonight, beginning in verse 10, because we saw last week, again, uh, they which are be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. That's where we ended, verse 9 rather. Then in verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law. So there are those who are responding by faith. There are those who are of faith who have a promise of God. Let's put it this way. You hear the promise of God in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's the promise that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I was talking to somebody this week, again, about the concepts of Arminianism and Calvinism, and it grieves my soul to see so many people caught up in getting locked into one of those two camps because neither one is biblical through and through. Neither one. And so what happens is, is the Arminian says God, he doesn't believe a promise of God. God says the life he gives is eternal. Always understand, eternal does not end. If you can lose your salvation, God did not tell the truth. He said in Ephesians 1.13 and 4.30 that the believer is sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. Is that an absolute fact, a statement of fact? So if you're not sealed to the day of redemption, God is a liar. The Calvinist says, he reads John 3.16, and here's, For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And He says that does not mean whosoever. It boils down to this simplicity. That's unbelief. It's unbelief. God said, whosoever, do we believe God? You see, God God speaks in terms. We either have to believe Him or call Him a liar. He said, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I remember God using that wonderful truth in John 3.16 to convince me that I actually could be saved. I was convinced I needed to be. I was a little heathen and I knew that. I knew I needed to be saved, but the question was, could I be saved? I remember, I love asking this. You ask somebody that knows they're a sinner, does God want to save you? And watch them. Well, they'll ponder that one. Well, I don't know. I remember dealing with a young man. I've told you about it before. A young man I know very well. I've known him since he was little. He used to ride my bus. He was in jail for a a very serious crime. Very serious. We're having a one-on-one through the plexiglass. And I asked him, I said, does God want to save you? I said, well, I don't know. I had her ask him, do you want to be saved? He said, yes. I said, does God want to save you? He said, I'm not sure. And I read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, and 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and established that God says he would have all men, all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. My point is this tonight. We must, if we're of faith, what that means is, God makes promises that we know are impossible to be done in the power of our flesh, but we believe Him anyway. How many of you can explain how God comes to dwell in your body? Can anybody explain that? But it's the promise of God. Jesus said, Whosoever believeth on Him, out of His belly shall flow rivers of living water. What in the world does He mean? He means He's speaking of the Holy Spirit who He would give to those who believe on Him. Do we actually believe God when He says, when I trust Christ, He gives the Holy Spirit to dwell in me? It boils down to, do I believe the promise of God? So, am I going to be of faith? God told Abraham, in thee shall all nations, all families of the earth be blessed. You know what Abraham did? He believed God. He believed that God through him would bless all the families of the earth through a child that he didn't have yet. Here, here in Sarah, too old to have children, but he believed God would do what God said, meaning Abraham didn't do anything to get that promise. He just believed it. You and I didn't do anything to get salvation. We just believed it when God said, I'll save you. I'll make you righteous if you'll trust my son. And so then those that are of faith, we respond to the promises of God just like Abraham responded to the promise of God. God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you are of faith and you know, that means if I call on Christ... He will save me. When I was convinced of that, you know what I did? I called on Christ. I prayed a simple child's prayer and said, Lord Jesus, please save me from my sin. I'm going to hell. And he did. To this day, I don't remember all, I don't remember the exact words I used. I know why I called because I believed he would hear me and I believed he would save me. And he keeps his word. What has happened is the Galatians had done the same thing. They had believed the promise of God concerning salvation. There are also promises of God concerning victory, concerning cleanliness, concerning uh, concerning sanctification, concerning power to serve. All these things are ours in Scripture, but they had stopped believing God's promises as applied by His Holy Spirit, and we're going back to the to the, the rigors of the law, the law of Moses, circumcision, and dietary laws, and 
these things that we're about typifying and saying. No, it's, it's not about keeping these things. It's about faith in a living person. How many of you think the Lord Jesus Christ has the ability to manage the lives of his children? The law treats Jesus like he's dead. Like he cannot communicate to us, direct us, and enable us to live the life he wants us to live. And so then, the, our first point tonight that we're going to look at in verse 10 is the damnation of the law. You know what the law does to those who are under it? The Bible says, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law, meaning you've decided, no, I'm not going to trust God to do for me. I am going to perform for God. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. We read this verse this morning. That is a mouthful. The Bible says here's the curse of the law. If you're going to justify yourself through obedience to the law, you have to continue in all things that are written in the law. What are there, 633 commandments, I think, in the law? Some statutes, some are ordinances. You have the first and great commandment, the second that's like it. You have the Ten Commandments that hang on those two. And then you have all the other statutes and ordinances that hang on those ten. Every part of law is either about man's relationship with God or man's relationship with man. And may I say this, if you're going to keep the Sabbath, then you've got to keep the diet. And if you're going to keep the diet, then you've got to keep the sacrifices. Now, is there righteousness in the law? And does the Spirit of God use the law to speak to us? Yes. We see that demonstrated in Scripture. So please don't misunderstand or lose me tonight. But the point of this is you and I are not redeemed through our performance of the law in our natural ability. But Paul says, if you are of the works of the law, if you've decided... I will establish, this is Bible terminology, I'm going to establish my own righteousness by proving that I can do everything that God told me to do in my natural ability. Without the aid of the Spirit of God, without the presence of the Spirit of God, without the power of the Spirit of God, I can do what God told me to do. I will simply perform an obedient life. Number one, you're declaring, if you believe that, I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ. And if you are under the works of the law, Paul said, then you're cursed. Here's what Paul understood. No human being outside of Christ has ever kept the entire law of God. We dealt with this this morning. For as many as are of the works of the law, meaning you're going to go back, take the law of Moses as your standard of righteousness and conform yourself to it. You're cursed because if you don't keep it all, you're condemned. And so that's the damnation of the law. The declaration that is made here is that as many as are under the works of the works of the law are under the curse for it is written. He's going to quote scripture Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The law declared, and it does does say this repeatedly, if you're going uh, to do them, you have to live in them. Look at Leviticus chapter 18, if you would. We're in the heart of the law in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18. I believe we want to be at verse, give me just a moment, 5, Leviticus 18, uh, verse, let's back to verse 4. Ye shall do my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord, meaning you've got to do them to have life by them. 
I'll repeat this, and it's bare, I, I know it's a bit redundant with the themes we've had in the preaching and morning and night and last week. But how many people have you said? I remember meeting a man over in Washington one day, and I didn't know him from Adam. We pulled in. We had, we'd gone to buy something through Craigslist, my dad and I, and I pulled the wrong property first. And we get in a conversation. The guy starts talking about spiritual things. Maybe I hand him a gospel track. And he was, he was someone who believed in keeping the Sabbath. And so he wanted to ask, were we Sabbath keepers and so forth? And so I just asked him, I said, do you keep the Sabbath? He said, oh, yes. I said, do you really keep the Sabbath? He said, oh, yeah, we keep the Sabbath. I said, so you don't ever light a fire on a Friday evening now, do you? Well, I mean, it, you know, he starts backtracking. Here's the thing. May I ask something? Would you be cursed for lighting a fire after 6 p.m. on Friday evening or Saturday morning by the Jewish law? Under the law, we have an example of a man who went and gathered sticks on the Sabbath day and lit a fire, and he got stoned to death. See, that's cruel. That's justice. Had God said, no work on Saturday? Now, how many law keepers do you know? Not one. How many people who claim to keep the Sabbath today actually keep it? Not one. And so the point is, if you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep the law. But if we're going to follow Christ, and by the way, Christ, Christ is not in conflict. He, we, we who are of faith keep the spirit of the law, which is far better than the letter. Amen? And so my point is this, and the declaration is, if you're going to be under the law then the law demands complete and perfect obedience. Again, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You're gonna, if you're going to be redeemed by obedience to the law, it's all or none. Again, very quickly, James 2.10. Again, I understand we're repeating much of what we said this morning. It's just the overlap we have because of where we're preaching right now. James chapter 2, verse 10. James 2, verse 10. The Bible says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Now again, it doesn't take a lot of thought. Jeff was talking to our first man today, young man. He was asking him about keeping the law. And he asked him, have you ever lied? And the man said, well, probably. <laughs> that, I think we all felt sure. No, no, probably. Have you ever stolen? He said, well, not that I can remember. He said, well, have you always honored and obeyed your parents perfectly what they wanted, the way they wanted, and he just grinned. Nah, I haven't got that one. Now, let's be, let's be judges tonight, shall we? According to God's law and God's judgment, what is that man who acknowledged, I've probably lied and no doubt dishonored and disobeyed my parents? Is he a lawbreaker? Is he under the curse? as we all are. Offense in one point, we're now lawbreakers. Let's use the law of the land. Let's just, a law that's not nearly as righteous and holy as God's. How many law-abiding citizens do we have in this room tonight? By the strictest definition. Huh? How many of you have ever exceeded the speed limit and you knew you were exceeding the speed limit and you did not immediately stop exceeding the speed limit? How many of you since July of last year have ever picked up your cell phone while you were driving? Ha! Oh, I have the hardest time with that one. Like, stop, leave it alone. They changed the law. We're not allowed to do that anymore. You know what we are? We're lawbreakers. Our law just has to decide who they're going to prosecute and who they're not. And so they go after the big fish, right? 
Don't become a big fish if you don't want to get caught by the law, right? That's not the way it works with God's law. God is perfectly just. He's not going to say, oh, you just disobeyed your parents two or three hundred times. No big deal. By the way, it's probably a minimum for most of us. Huh? Truth. The fact is, if you're going to be under the law, Paul says some of you are going back and circumcising your children because you think that makes you a perfect Christian. You got saved by faith what God would do for you, but now you're proving your own righteousness again by going back under the law. He said, I'm going to tell you, if you go back to the law, you have to go back and keep it all. And if you're under the law, you're under the curse because God says, unless you keep it all, the law has cur- All the law can do is prove you guilty and cursed. That's the damnation of the law. Number two, the deficiency of the law. Look at verses 11 and 12. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them, that's what we just read in Leviticus 18, verse 5, the man that doeth them shall live in them. Meaning, the law is about perform or die. (laughs) You either do or die. That's exactly what the law says. Here's the blessing. Do all the things I tell you, and I will bless you. Do all the things I, don't do the things I tell you, and I will curse you. And we know the curse came on the individuals, and the curse came on the nation, because they failed to keep God's law. Now, do not misunderstand. We're not speaking evil of the law tonight. The law is good. But its intent was never to save you. And so, therefore, it cannot. The law is not of faith. God established a law as a proof of mankind. It proves what we are. Uh, it's why it's called a schoolmaster. It's to instruct us and to give us light as to our, uh, to our condemned state. It would be like this. If tonight Benson said, I am strong enough to pick up that piano by myself. Let's see, I said, we need the piano move tonight. Anybody can do that? Ben says, I can. I say, really? He says, I can. I can move that big grand piano up. Can you do that? Well, let's say he said, yeah, I can do it. And everybody here knows that Benson's not able to move that grand piano. You know what I'm going to do as a dad? You know the first thing I'm going to do? Okay. Then I command you, I require you, go pick it up and move it. Now, am I doing that because I really believe he can and I want to use him to move the piano? Or did I just make a commandment to prove what he is? You know, before the law, many a man had the idea, I'm good, I'm righteous. After the law, many a man has the idea, I'm good, I'm righteous. God says, okay, let's have a test of that. Let's prove whether or not you are good. Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. How many of us know those are good laws? And he says, all right. Bear it, bear, pick up the yoke of the burden of the law and you pull it, if you may, knowing we could not. Knowing we could not. He created a law in order to show us it's not a faith. God, God doesn't say, uh, trust me and I will empower you under the law. He says, do what I say or die. And so the law is not a faith. And so uh, we look at a few things here in verse 11 and 12. He says, but that no man is justified by the law on the side of God, is it is evident for the just shall live by doing or by faith. Faith is trusting God to do what he says he'll do, not trusting us to do what God says for us to do, but trusting him. And then he goes on saying the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. And so again, establishing the law is not about trust. It's about performance. It is the commanding a natural man to do what he cannot. Let's look, if you would, quickly at Romans chapter 8 with me. We're talking about what the law cannot do. Now, the law is not weak because it is evil. The law is weak because we are evil. 
All right? My commandment for Benson to move the piano would not result in Benson moving the piano because it's a bad command, but because he would not have the power to perform. There's nothing wrong with the command, especially that command is to prove out the truth. But the fact of the matter is, Romans chapter 8 tells us where the law is weak, why it cannot perform. Uh, verse 1 of Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, meaning not in dependence on their natural man and, his, and my own ability, meaning what I am born without being born again. That's walking after the flesh. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit and life in Christ, of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Notice what it says, verse 3. For what the law, and what are the next few words? Could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the, spirit, uh, the flesh, but after the Spirit, meaning what we are naturally is incapable of performing the righteous demands of the law, but Christ is not incapable, and through Him we receive the Holy Spirit who makes us capable of fulfilling the righteousness of the law. You are neither saved by yourself. The Spirit of God gave you eternal life upon what? Faith. You know how we grow spiritually? Faith in His enabling power. So I'll say this tonight. There's a number of young people in this room. As a young person, there are temptations you wrestle that will scream into your ear, you are too weak to overcome this temptation. And you know what that, you know what that screaming voice is? It's true. There are temptations in your flesh, and there are temptations in my flesh, that if we had power in ourselves to overcome, we wouldn't need the Spirit of God. So we have to get to the point where we say, well, then I'm going to face my temptation not in the flesh, what I can do. I'm going to memorize this routine and I'm going to go through this and I'm going to do this and I'll do this and I'll conquer my, my, my fleshly appetites by fleshly mechanism. No, you won't. What you can do is lay hold of the promises of God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You can get on your knees and pray and say, Lord Jesus, you know that today I'm going to face them to this temptation. I have succumbed to it more times than I can remember, more times than I can count. But you promised me, Lord, that if I would come boldly to you, you'd give me grace and mercy to help in time of need. And today I'm going to want to do something that I know in my conscience I should not do. But I believe you can give me the power to overcome it. Because you promised me. Can you pray like that? Lord, you promised me there's no temptation that has taken me that's not common, but that you'll make a way to escape. Lord, I'm asking you to, by your Holy Spirit today, show me the way to escape so that today is the day I don't succumb to the temptation today. But again, would you help me? And then when you conquer your temptation, you know who did it? The Spirit of Almighty God. Not you. Him. You know what often has to happen? We have to fall on our face in the power of our flesh enough until we learn to depend on the Holy Spirit. Do we have to learn that our spiritual fortitude does not come from within? Now let's, let's preach beyond the young people. Some of us this week are going to have an opportunity to do things we should. And you had an opportunity to do it last week and didn't do it. <laughs> a lost person we encountered and we should have given the gospel. We know what we ought to do. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is. Sin, James 4, 17, some of us say, Lord, you know this week I'm going to have the opportunity to speak to some lost soul about their need and you know that I'm a coward and you know that I'm afraid and you know that I don't want to speak up but I also know that I should. 
Now, Lord, you said that we would receive power after your Holy Spirit comes upon us to witness for you. And I'm asking you, in Christ's precious name, would you give me his boldness? That's living by faith. Because you said if I'd come boldly to your throne, you'd give me grace and mercy to help in time of need. I need courage. Lord, I'm facing a situation, and in my own wisdom, I'm going to end up sinning if I handle it my way. I need your wisdom how to handle this situation without sinning against you or sinning against someone else. Would you please give me wisdom? Lord, you promised if I lacked wisdom, you'd give it. You know what? He'll give it. And what we'll do is we'll live a life that is a, it is a demonstration that Christ is living. Rather than, look how excellent I am at carrying out a righteous life. I have figured out the perfect routine. I have figured out this and this. And what we end up doing then is we despise others because we're performing in the power of our flesh instead of we're doing what we can do instead of living by what he can do. You see, faith depends on what God can do. Flesh depends on what I can do. And you say, what's this have to do with our message? Everything. The Galatians have begun by believing what God could do. And they said, well, here's what we can do to make ourselves look righteous. They were going back under the law. And Paul said, no, if you're going to do that, you're cursed. The law can't save you. The law can't justify you because the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. The law is simply, you understand what it says, do what it says or die. And that's not of faith. And so, uh, and by the way, the just shall live by faith is repeated in the Old Testament and the New. We find it in Romans 1.17. I believe it's in the book of Habakkuk. It talks to us and tells us the just shall live by faith. But the law, does it is, it is weak because of the flesh. The, Jesus told Peter, the spirit, your spirit, little s, truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. So you know what he told Peter to do? Watch and pray, meaning respond in faith, not in self-confidence. Peter, you think you won't deny me. You think that you have the strength to stand up. You think you have the strength to be faithful. But I'm telling you, you better you better live by faith so you can get the strength that you don't have. You're willing to do right, but you don't have the power to perform. The flesh can't do right. We must understand that tonight. That's why it's so important for us to spend time with God in prayer. Because your flesh can't do right. My flesh can't do right. I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth not very much good. No good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. You know why we need to be saved? Because the flesh is utterly incapable of saving itself. We're sinful. So we understand that for salvation, but Paul in Galatians is dealing with spiritual growth going on unto perfection. Meaning the way you got saved is the way you grow. We must continue to take God at His Word and act in faith upon His commandments and promises. That's the Christian life. The last time you move forward spiritually is the last time you responded in faith to the Bible. Amen. A promise or a commandment or instruction of Scripture that you knew by the Holy Spirit of God applied to you and you said, Lord, I trust you. I believe you. I'm going to depend on you to enable me to do it. You know how many people say, I, I, I know I should do that, but I can't. And the sad part of that, there's truth in that. I can't, but he can. There are many people that have given up on a separated life unto God because they say, I can't. I can't take the ridicule. I can't take being different. I can't follow through. Well, you're right, but it tells me you're approaching it in, in the flesh. 
I'll just do this. You, look, you'll never wake up and just decide to live the Christian life. You and, I, you and I can't take the denial of... How many of you in your flesh are going to deny yourself? I mean, let's be honest. There's a piece of cake and you know you shouldn't eat it, but it looks delicious. And you honestly are just going to say, you know, I, you know how many, let's, let's give a bit of illustration. Your, your right hand keeps getting in trouble. You're literally going to take a knife and chop it off. Really? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense, does it? I'm not suggesting you chop your hand off. My, 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 my point I'm trying to make is the flesh does not tell the flesh, no, we must have the power of God. And that requires we get the power of God when we take God at his word. How many times does God say something in this book and we know exactly what he means, but we don't trust him? Let me ask you this. How many believe tonight it is possible to live a life where you are constantly rejoicing? Always in a state of rejoicing. I didn't say always run around with a cheesy smile that we don't mean. I mean counting it all joy, whether we're in temptations or we're in blessings. Is that possible? There are people who claim to be saved say, well, that's a nice ideal, but it's not possible. That's unbelief. Because he said rejoice evermore. In, in all, all we rejoice. And again I say, rejoice we are told rejoice. We're to give thanks in all things and for all things. And yet we'll write that off as that's not possible. There are some basic instructions that are, that are specifically applied to blood-bought, born-again believers about how we ought to live our lives. What we ought to, what we ought to do as far as staying clean. I, I know of people who say it's impossible for a young person today to live a pure life. That's unbelief. Then why did God say to keep ourselves pure? Why did God say, touch not the unclean thing? Young person, if you're here tonight and you think that it's impossible for you to live a pure and sanctified life, check where you're not believing God. Because God called you to holiness, not defilement. If you're saved. And there are some who say, that's legalism. No, friend. No, no, no. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's Galatians. It's about how we walk. And the point is tonight, the law can't do that because all the law says is in your natural ability perform. That's not faith. That's self-confidence. And you can't do it. The law is weak through the flesh. So we're talking about the damnation of the law because of the deficiency of the law. Not that the law is in of itself deficiency, but it's incapable of producing righteous people because it doesn't say trust God to do for you. It says do it in yourself. No, that's not Christianity. That's why I do not appreciate so-called church talks that are nothing more than building up folks' confidence in their ability to do. We need confidence in God's ability to keep His own word. And our ability to do comes from Him. And so then the damnation of the law, verse 10, the deficiency of the law, verses 11 and 12, the deliverance from the law. If the law condemns us by us not doing it, then where is our help? We've been preaching it all night. Verses 13 and 14. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we are under the curse, having not performed the demands of the law. We are under the curse, but Christ was made a curse for us. As we've been quoting so often, Hebrews tells us, He tasted death for every man. We have been condemned by our disobedience to God's law, but the Lord Jesus took the penalty for our sin. He was made a curse for us. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. I link that in my mind to Romans 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse uh, 13 again, For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ 
that we might receive the promise of the Spirit, here it is again, through faith. The deliverance from the law is the fact that Christ was made a curse for us. He, he, it's the whole concept of his death and his life. That's what you have in verses 13 and 14. Through his death, our curse was put upon him. Leviticus, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 21, 23 is the text that declares, Cursed is everyone. He that is hanged on a tree is accursed. And he was hanged on a tree in our place. He became sin for us, as we all very well know. And so that is his death in place of our death. He died in our place, took our sin, took our penalty. Our chastisement was upon him, as Isaiah 53 says. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham, remember what the, he's tagging it back to the promise God made to Abraham, that in Abraham all the families of the earth would be blessed, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul is getting the Galatians' attention on it's not about your natural ability to perform, it's about the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. Galatians might be summed up this way, flesh or spirit. What you and I do, how many of us would tell somebody that they think they are being saved from the condemnation and the wrath of God through their religious performance? How many of us would say, you are deceived? But how many people think that's how you continue the Christian life? I got saved by faith in Christ, but I am a perfect Christian by my, by my ability to, to schedule and, and, and do, carry out a life that is pleasing to God or whatever it may be, especially and what we often end up doing is work looking back to the law because God spelled it out meticulously. Here's what you do. And what happens is the, Paul says, no, it's, it's not about your fleshly ability. It's about the Spirit of God and you receive the Holy Spirit by faith. And so Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 is dealing with the fact he died for us. Galatians 3.14 is dealing with the fact that he lives for us. The presence of the Holy Spirit is... It is the demonstration of the, of the life of Jesus Christ. So go to Romans 5. We just quoted part of that. I'm going to read these verses together, Romans 5, 8 through 10. Now, and I wish and hope every Christian could get a hold of this because many a time as saved people, we get a hold of the fact that now that I'm saved, I ought to be living right. I should be living a life of obedience to the Lord. And you might be there with Paul and say, I'm willing, but I'm not able to perform. I'm willing as a young person to honor and obey my parents, but I still dishonor and disobey. I'm willing, but I don't have the power to perform. Well, what's the golden key? The presence of the Holy Spirit and your response to Him by faith. Again, I'll ask you, does a living person have a difficult time communicating their mind and their will? So do we really believe Christ is living tonight? Do we really believe that we have His Holy Spirit within us to make known His mind and will to us in every facet of our lives? You know what? God gave a law, and it contained 630-some-odd commandments, right? Touching so many parts of their life. But you realize the commandments of the Holy Spirit of God in your life are endless. He doesn't just give 633 statutes and say, do your best to do these. No, if, if we'll submit to Him and mind Him, He'll command every facet of our life. He'll command and direct. He'll, he'll, acknowledge, he'll let you know when the thoughts you're having are not pleasing to Him. And He'll take Scripture to validate it to you. This is why you shouldn't be thinking that way. You realize the Spirit of God is so much... The living Son of God communicating with us by the presence of the Holy Spirit is so much better than trying to conform to the law. We still have His law, but it's directly from Him, from the author. 
And so then, uh, through his word, uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He became a curse for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So many times, that's all we understand of our salvation. Christ became a curse for me. I don't have to bear the penalty for my sin because he died in my place. I've been saved from the wrath of God. That's salvation. But that's not where it ends. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, meaning we were enemies of God because we had disobeyed him and his wrath was upon us, and we were reconciled because Christ died for us, meaning he took the the curse for us. He became the curse. He was punished in our place. If we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, present tense, you are now reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Christ is living today, and so I'll go back to the, the illustration of temptation. When you face temptation this week, something that's coming upon you and your flesh craves something that in your conscience you know is sin and you tell yourself, don't do that. And in order not to do that, I will, you know, I'll do this and I'll do this. And by the way, the Lord will lead us to respond. But my point is if we're in the power of our flesh saying, here's what I will do to conquer my temptation, it won't work. Peter assured himself, though he would be tempted to deny Christ, I will not, he said. How do you think Peter meant it when he said, I will not deny you? How do you think he was sincere? But he did it anyway. You know why? Who did Peter rely on to not deny Christ? Peter or Christ? He relied on Peter and therefore he failed. So if we will approach it this way, you know what? Whatever temptation I'm facing this week, has Christ faced it? Let's, let's, let's act in faith. Has Christ faced the temptation you're facing this week? He has. Did he overcome it? So he succeeded where you have failed. Then shouldn't we rely on him? to give us his strength by his spirit to overcome my temptation. That's how we're saved by his life. We're saved from wrath by his death. That's the penalty for sin. We're saved from the power of sin by his life. I'm going to tell you something. The living son of God is so much better. His life and sufficiency is ever available. How do we access it? What is our part? It's faith. The just shall live by Faith, I must trust God. I must put my confidence in his word, in his wisdom, in his power, in his strength. May I say this? A life lived by faith in Jesus Christ will always be fulfilled because he will never disappoint your trust in him. Never. Those who put their trust in Christ are never going to be ashamed. Amen? Never. Because he never fails those who take him at his word. Are we living by faith tonight or are we living by flesh? The Galatians were trying to find rituals to replace faith. Rituals do not replace faith. They don't replace faith for salvation, but they don't replace faith for spiritual growth and perfection either. Spiritual rituals are not the same as responding to God by faith. It's called abiding in Him, walking with Him. 